The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase Podcast. Who was my favorite player when I was a kid, and yeah. there's no way around that. I held it in until the end of our recording session with him. I was very professional, very straightforward, very serious. And then at the end I said, I gotta tell you, I was so happy that we were able to book you. You were my favorite. And I, I gushed for a little bit, and he, to his credit, was very gracious about it and did not <laughs> say, whatever, loser. I am with Ben Gelman Chomsky. How is it going? And you're on the West Coast. So how is it out there? Oh, it's fantastic. It's been unnerving as a lifelong Eastern time zone resident to move to San Diego where the weather is always perfect. When it's not perfect, it's an aberration and people freak out about it. We had a few days ago, actually, a couple of days of drizzle. Oh, yeah. And I was loving it. I got to put on a hoodie. I felt, oh, it's Midwestern weather. This is great. And everyone else around me is just kind of glaring at everything because they're not used to that kind of thing. But it's hard to complain when you've got high 60s and sunny in late December, early January. So we're at that point, I'm in Virginia. So we're at that point where we are probably having quote unquote San Diego weather because it is low 70s, high 60s, like every day right now. So it feels nice. It's sunny. I've never been to San Diego. I want to go out there and see it, but um, I have a cousin out there and I feel like the weather's perfect 24 seven. They had a rain delay at the Padres game very recently. And I'm like, they never have rain. Yeah. And you, and you heard Don Rosillo. I don't know if you heard the clip on, uh, the the broadcast, but Don Orsillo was laughing. I was, I've never seen anything like this. This is bizarre. A rain delay at Petco Park. And Don is near and dear to my heart as a lifelong Red Sox fan. And he, his transition to San Diego has been nothing short of spectacular. He's as good as it gets as a TV play-by-play guy for baseball in my book yeah I was watching a lot of the Padres games throughout the season and maybe not as much lately but um I've been definitely watching he is a fun broadcaster to listen to he's very enthusiastic which is great great sound clips but yeah so you are with MLB the show at Sony and what is the name of your like what's your role like what do you do specifically the best descriptor of my role is sports broadcast designer. I have a lot of fingers and a lot of pies, but the main thrust of my job is being a script writer for our broadcast team to make sure that our commentary when you play the game, when you're hearing the play-by-play and color commentary, it sounds authentic, it speaks to what you're doing, and it's engaging. So my job is to continually write, rewrite, keep it fresh, come up with new ideas, and make sure that we are doing the best job we can to make it a fully immersive experience. Yeah, that's really awesome. Like, how did you, how did you get into that business? I got into it by failing. I got let go from the last minor league team I had worked for after the 2018 season. And it was after seven years of minor league baseball broadcasting. And I felt like I was on the cusp and I just wasn't getting anywhere. And I kept looking and I wasn't getting any decent job interviews that winter. It was a very frustrating time for me. So one day I went on Indeed and I searched sports broadcast. That was it. I didn't put in a location. I didn't put in baseball. I just did sports broadcast. And not a lot of good positions came up. 
But a position for a sports broadcast designer with San Diego Studio popped up. And I knew San Diego Studio. I had played MLB The Show for a couple of years at that point. So I recognized the name from the opening credits. And I quickly sussed out, this has to be for MLB The Show. I read through the job description and I had the deep sense that even though my resume wouldn't give the impression that I could do this job, I knew I was well suited for it. I had the skill set, I had the abilities that they were looking for. So I put together my application, including a fictional script where I had the game's announcers introducing me as the newest hire. And I guess that caught some eyes because I went through the interview process and I got the gig. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel the pain though. I was, you know, I had a baseball internship too and I was looking for jobs and after about a year of searching, I was like, all right, I'm just going to look for a job specifically and not necessarily sports. So I definitely get the pain, but it's awesome that you stuck with it and ultimately found what you are doing now, which is really awesome. Yeah. It's been a blessing and especially coming when it did right before the 2019 season, I had the chance to get settled and acclimated with SDS and midway through the 2020 and 21 cycle, I got made full time from contractor status. Meanwhile, all of my colleagues were just kneecapped by quarantines and COVID. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Everyone I knew couldn't work. The entire minor league season was canceled. A few of my friends, their jobs never came back. Their teams were contracted or they chose to go in a different direction. And I feel for them. I feel so much sympathy because it's a very hard business to begin with. There are very few jobs. And then to have COVID hit and really upend the business model made it very hard for them. And I just got incredibly lucky to land in a stable situation just before the world flipped upside down. Very similar situation, honestly, for me too. But uh, yeah, so I was curious, what is a typical day in the life for you in terms of, well, basically just your average day? I love that I get to work on so many different projects because it means that every day has its own challenges, its own tasks. On one day, I might be working specifically on our franchise in March to October modes, focusing on what are the milestones in a season, what are the touch points that I need to write specific content for, how can I invert what I did last time and make it fresh. Another day I might be delving into something that I'm particularly passionate about but that isn't identified as a specific need for the game, but it's the kind of thing that will deepen the immersion. The best job that I can do at this studio is one where you never notice my work. If you're listening to the broadcast in the game and something catches your ear for more than half a second, I've screwed up because I don't want you to think that doesn't sound realistic. I want you to think, yeah, that's just another broadcast commentary. That's exactly how they should sound. And the challenge of it is that Unlike for many video games where you're writing for fictional characters, we're writing for people who are known to the users, the the players, our fans, and they have their own distinct voices and vocabularies, which are not mine necessarily. So I have to really be able to hear those voices and put myself there and say, okay, today I'm writing as Matt Vaskersian, so how... Does he speak? What's his cadence? Are there certain phrases I can use to get myself to that place? And it's a lot of fun 
to have that challenge because it's acting as much as it is writing. So are these like are like like you said, Matt Baskerjan, are like certain personalities coming, I guess, to the studio and you're able to like interact with them specifically, or do they kind of send in something and then you take their voice and I guess have them have that script, I guess, for the game, or how does that kind of work? No, we have worked exclusively with voices. We bring them into the studio, or at least we did pre-COVID. These days, it's been much more remote recording, but thanks to the miracles of modern technology, it is exactly the same quality as if they were standing right next to us. And it's all scripts that we've written for them. Sometimes we'll write things down from what they say in a live game broadcast, and we'll say, okay, we want you to reproduce that. We want you to recreate that. But largely speaking, it's stuff that we've written for them. And a big part of the job is assembling the scripts, not just writing the content, but making sure that the file names are descriptive, the comments that we have in our internal organizational system, that they are descriptive enough for our tech side to assemble things correctly and make sure that lines fit together the right way and everything stitches together ever so neatly. It's it's a very meticulous process and it's not something I ever considered back when I was playing Hardball 2 and Triple Play 99 in the early nine, early and late 90s. It's just so foreign to those worlds. It's, it's really amazing how far the technology has come. And I got to do stuff well outside my comfort zone, actually going on camera within the game, which I'm still weirded out anytime I come across myself. It's still a very odd feeling, but it, it was such a thrill. And that was, to loop all the way back to your original question, that was a project where none of our contributors for that were in our studios. All of that was recorded remotely. And... Kudos to our production crew because they guided us through that so well. And our participants, Robert Flores, Lauren Shahadi, everyone from MLB Network, all the way to Ken Griffey Jr. and Jenny Finch were just tremendous collaborators. It was so much fun to do that. And before COVID hit, there would be stop-bys. You know, Blake Snell came to the office back when he was with the Rays, actually. And Ken Griffey Jr. stopped in. That's when I met him for the first time. And it, it, the, I, I know from my experience working in baseball that these are just people. Right. They're, they're exactly. people like you and me. And I, I'm not one to get starstruck so much anymore, except with Ken Griffey Jr., who was my favorite player when I was a kid. And yeah. there's no way around that. I held it in until the end of our recording session with him. I was very professional, very straightforward, very serious. And then at the end, I said, I got to tell you, I was so happy that we were able to book you. You were my favorite. And I I gushed for a little bit. And he, to his credit, was very gracious about it and did not (laughs) say, whatever, loser. Right. You know, he he took it in stride. And he's he's genuinely hilarious. He has such a sneaky sense of humor. I, I think he is somebody who could be a next level analyst on TV. He could be tremendous. That's really cool. Yeah, I uh I remember when I was at 
the Richmond Flying Squirrels game as an intern, and Ryan Vogel's song was There's a Rehab, and I was like, well, that's Ryan Vogel's song. Like, he was just in the World Series, and I know he's not, like, a superstar, but I was kind of like, whoa, like, that's cool. Like, he's sitting right there, and I chatted with him for, like, a second, but um, I know, you're, yeah. like you said, they're, they're all people like us, so it's kind of like, okay, they're, they're like, a, they're another person that just happened to be yeah. a great baseball player. Yeah, if I can go on a couple of quick tangents about rehabbing major leaguers, because I have two very fun stories from from my career, when I was working for the New Hampshire Fisher Cats in the same league as the yeah. Richmond Flying Squirrels, yeah. I happened to be in Trenton, New Jersey to play the Thunder when Alex Rodriguez was down for a rehab assignment. And, you know, you see these guys on TV and you think, okay, they're a certain size, they're they're large human beings. You don't get a sense of how big Alex Rodriguez is until you see him up close. That man is huge. This is towards the end of his career. This is not yeah. in his prime, Alex. This is winding out the string. And he is massive. And he played fine in that rehab stand. He was nothing that blew me away, but he was fine. But seeing him up close was something really special. And then in my last year as a broadcaster in 2018, I was working for the Salem Red Sox, also in Virginia. And yeah. we happened to be in Pot Woodbridge, Virginia, to play the... Potomac Nationals, who are now the Fredericksburg Nationals. That's right. And Anthony Anthony Rendon was down on a rehab, and I thought, okay, he's going to be the best player on the field today. It's not going to be close. I was wrong because there was this kid who had just gotten called up from low A, and he was dominating every at-bat. He wouldn't swing at pitches out of the zone. Anything he swung at, the contact was loud and angry. And I remember thinking, who is this kid? I had not heard of him coming in. And it was Juan Soto. I was thinking of him, yeah. This is on his way up. And yeah. immediately following the series, I went to my fantasy baseball keeper league and I picked him <laughs> up because I said, this kid's going to be the truth. He is unbelievable. And I'm so lucky that I got to see something like that because you never know when you're going to see the next superstar. I saw Mookie Betts in his first career game at Fenway Park in short season A. I saw Andrew Benintendi in his first double A game. I saw Juan Soto. It's, I, I went back through my, my scorebooks and it's amazing some of the names. I don't even remember seeing Noah Syndergaard, but I did. And Russell Wilson, oh, the yeah. quarterback for the yeah. Seahawks, was the second baseman for the Asheville Tourists in the first game I ever broadcast back in 2011. Nice. It, it, it's remarkable. So my story when I was with the Green Jackets, we had the this was 2016, so we had the Rome Braves. They were mm -hmm. the worst team in the first half. The Rome Braves caught us in the second half, won the division, won the whole thing. But of course, the Rome Braves were led by guys like Ronald Acuna, Max Fried, Ozzy Albies, just the guys on the Atlanta Braves right now. And at the time, right, I didn't realize I, I should have known, but I didn't. I wasn't following the minor leagues as much, or I guess I hadn't heard mm -hmm. of, or I had been paying attention as much. So I was like realizing later, I just saw Acuna, Ronald Acuna in Rome, single A. Now he's a hundred million dollar guy in the major leagues. So I was like, oh, okay, I just saw superstars in the making, basically. Yeah, it really is wild, and I know so many guys now with so many different franchises, it's fun to flip on a random game and say, oh, it's, it's, I, I called his games way back when. Just, it, it's really amazing to be able to do that, and it, it's something I'm always going to be fond of. Yeah, I was just going to say real fast, too, that I made, like, my debut radio appearance on the Asheville Taurus Network for, like, half an inning. I was so horrible. I never thought I'd get into podcasting, and looking back on that, I was like, wow, I was so bad, just... 
all the you knows and ums and all the stuff I probably still do and just edit out now. Yeah, but, but you were working with Doug Maurer. You were working with Doug, who is good people. That's right, yeah. And he's he was as great. nice he was as good. they come. So I'm sure he shepherded you well through it. He was good, yeah. He was definitely good. And uh, real fast, you know Alex Cohen with the Iowa Cubs, right? Because I had him on a couple I months do. ago now. Yeah, talk to him. I do. I, I only know him really through Twitter. I reached mm-hmm. out to him Same. once upon a time. And he is as gracious as they come. And I really hope that sooner than later he gets his call to the big leagues. He's such a great talent and a rising star in the business. But more than that, he just is so well-respected among his peers. And that speaks to his character. Yeah, he was really cool to talk to. And I don't know if you know John Laser. He was the Flying Squirrels broadcaster. He does Virginia Tech. I'll be talking to him in a couple of weeks, too. But I figured all the baseball stuff. Yeah, tell him I say hi. I I pestered him for so many years to be his assistant in Richmond. It never worked (laughs) out. But I I was a thorn in his side for a very long time. I will tell him you said hi. But, yeah, I had to drop those names because I was like, you probably know them or definitely know who I'm talking about. So that's pretty funny. I was curious. Um... You kind of already alluded to some of the personalities you've been able to interact with. Uh, if you're able to talk about it, do you have like a fun? Well, I kind of did with Griffey. That was a fun story. But do you have anything that kind of sticks out in terms of like a fun story or just a quirky thing that maybe I don't know interacting with so and so? Yes. So Matt Vaskersian is such a pro. He is as good as it comes. He. He comes in, he knocks out lines so fast. He's so experienced at it that he can do it all so very quickly. And one of my jobs, and this ties back into my minor league experience, is getting player name pronunciations. It's a passion of mine, Mm -hmm. but it's also essential because we want to make sure we are 100% accurate. We don't have the benefit of what the NHL series had a few years ago when they had Doc Emmerich, who is, of course, notorious for compiling the list of every player pronunciation in the NHL year in, year out. I I had to run this down myself, and this was when we were adding a whole bunch of minor leaguers to the game. So this was about 1,600 names that I chased down over three months or so. And there was a player, I believe it was Jason Leblebegian, whom I had covered in the Toronto Blue Jays system. And Matt read his name, and I said, actually, it's pronounced Leblebegian. And Matt said, are you seriously correcting me on an Armenian name? Because Matt, of course, is of Armenian descent. Yeah. And I said, I'm sorry, I know the guy. I have to do it. Was he saying it like a and joke, or was he mad? He he was absolutely joking. Okay, he, okay. He, he understood that I knew right. Jason and that I had done my research on all these names. And he, he was kidding, but the way he said it just caught the entire control room off guard and we just laughed for a good minute and a half. Th- that project of tracking down player names was so fun, and it continues to be fun because I'm still doing it as we add newer and newer players to the game because Matt and our MLB talent a lot of these guys they've never heard of because they're at the low levels of the minors. They're just getting started. So when I bring in a Jason Leblebegian or a Diogenes Almengo or Xavier Javier, which I am just in love with that name, or my personal favorite from the past two years who finally made an impact in the majors this year, Lars Newtbar. Yes, yep. 
the best name. When I found that, I went to my colleague Kirby, who is one of the head voices on the scriptwriting team, and I said, you are not going to believe what I just found. You are not going to believe this name. And when we had Matt record it, he was laughing because he couldn't believe it either. And I said, we are getting this name in the game. I don't care if he ever makes the majors. We have to have this name in the game. And then he made the majors, and he was a bit of a folk hero for the Cardinals this year. It was just terrific. And it's nice building that connection before they get to the majors and having that kind of instinct about this is going to be a name that we want, but also seeing them go from just a name on a page to fully-fledged major leaguer. That is such a cool thing. Yeah. So I I always pay very close attention when the MLB draft happens so I can write down unusual pronunciations. That is really cool. And yeah, it sounds like you've definitely gotten to interact with so many different people. It's like, it's like my sounds like my uh my dream is just to like be able to talk with so many players or or whoever broadcasters. I was at, I was at Cooperstown a few weeks ago for the Hall of Fame induction and going back to when he said they're like they're just like us. I'm like I was thinking the same thing. I'm like that's just another person that just happens to be going to the Hall of Fame right now. Or there's Michael Jordan sitting over there, but he's just another person too in a way. So yeah, and certainly from my time growing up in Columbus, that was impressed upon me early because as you know, Columbus has been a Triple A baseball town forever. And so I went to my first Clippers game at three weeks old. Minor league baseball was there for me from the beginning. So I grew up in Columbus in the 90s when guys like Jeter and Bernie Williams, Andy Pettit, Mariano Rivera, Jorge Posada were all coming through. And I would see guys on the way up. And what was amazing in a full circle kind of way for me was one of my favorite players on those early 90s Clippers teams was Tori Lovello. Mm. I just really connected to his name or something. I don't know what it was. Who is now, of course, the manager for the Arizona Diamondbacks. In Salem, in 2017, his son Nick got promoted from low A up to Salem. So I got to work with Nick on a daily basis. And when I first interviewed him, I said, I got to tell you, this is a weird moment for me. Having been a kid watching your dad play in the minors and now... You're in the minors, and I'm covering you. This is just a bizarre full-circle moment, and it it was so cool to be able to be there for that moment in Nick's career and see him grow as a player. That is really cool. What is your favorite part about your job or even just the game itself, even just playing the game? Well, I was a fan of the game before I worked for the game. I had played MLB The Show for a couple years, so I already understood the appeal of it. I grew up playing baseball video games like Hardball 2, Hardball 4, Triple Play, MVP. And I loved watching the evolution of it. But to my mind, there isn't a game out there that does it the way we do with the level of immersion, respect for the game's history, and honest to God, love for the game's history. When I bring up a an arcane talking point that's from six decades ago, I don't get looked at weird. I get the question, okay, how do we work that in? How do we make that a piece that our broadcasters talk about and that engages our fans, which is so fun for me. I I love the challenge of slipping into someone else's voice and writing eight different ways to describe the same play, and you never know which one you're going to get. That's true, yeah. And... And certainly there's 
a challenge as well because everybody who plays sports video games has gotten used to commentary being a certain way. So the challenge year in, year out is how do we make sure we're aligning with those expectations but still exceeding them and pushing the, the boundaries in new and fun and engaging ways. And, and that's a problem of creativity as well as of engineering. And it's fun to collaborate with people who understand the engineering and tech side far better than I ever will and have them walk me through, okay, here's how we put together this crazy idea that you just brought to me. I, I've never had an idea that somebody here has shouted down and said, there is no way we'll ever do that. It's, we can't do that right now, but let's figure out how. And I, I love that aspect of it. Yeah, that is awesome. Now, just a general question about baseball, the playoff races right now. I think you said you're a Red Sox fan, right? So I am. Where are you at I with the, the final week here? The, the, the AL wild card is insane just every night. I know it's dramatic. It's tough probably, but... I, I need an EKG. <laughs> I swear I need a cardiogram because these Red Sox are killing me. They are absolutely killing me. As we speak right now, they just won against the Orioles last night to break up a few games losing streak. And I know this is confirmation bias. Rationally, I understand this is not a real thing. But for the past month or so, it seems like every time I think, oh, I wonder how the Red Sox are doing today or I turn on the game, bad things start to happen. And so I fastidiously avoided that for most of the past few weeks, and then I realized it didn't matter, and I wore a Red Sox shirt yesterday, and they won. But it's it's just really exciting to see baseball in such a topsy-turvy state right now. Coming into the year, nobody would have called the San Francisco Giants to be leading the NL West, <laughs> let alone have the best record in baseball. Right. The Chicago White Sox, yeah, they look great on paper, but it seemed like a combustible environment. The Houston Astros, there were still tons of questions there. And the, the AL East race is shaping up just about how it should have, but it's still utter insanity. And that's what's so fun to me is that any given night you can see something you've never seen before in baseball and something that makes you either pull your hair out or jump up and down on the sofa with excitement. It's. It, I love late September, October baseball. There's nothing like it short of maybe Stanley Cup Game 7 because every play seems to make your heart stop. Playoff overtime hockey is a different kind of drug, but, oh, yeah. but late season and postseason baseball is just dynamic in a way that few things in this world are. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, baseball, playoff like you said, the pennant race, September, October, hockey in the playoffs. It's insane how crazy it gets down to one play. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. it, it could be like a Red Sox-Yankees wildcard game, which would be insane too. Yeah, if, if the season ended right now, it would be. And God, the history there. I actually recently went back and rewatched ESPN's 30 for 30 on the 2004 ALCS, four days in October. And I'm not going to lie, I missed it up a little bit at certain points. Because I was living in Boston at the time. I was a freshman in college at Brandeis. And half that school is Red Sox fans. Half that school is Yankee fans. So the entire campus was a house divided. Yeah. And so for those seven games, 
I remember staying up late and having three heart attacks in game four and another four in game five. Yeah. And just living and dying with that series. And that for me is as good as playoff baseball gets. It's so dynamic and with the weight of history on top of it in a sport that is obsessed with its own history, it just gives it this added dimension that I love. Oh, yeah. I definitely get that. And have to ask about the Blue Jackets too. Yes. So with Columbus, how do you feel about the upcoming season? Because I'll say I don't know, I don't know about you, but I was pretty uh, dejected. I think after they hired Brad Larson, but then they had this amazing draft. At least it looks amazing on paper, and they have all these prospects. They have Cole Sillinger, they have Igor Chinikov, they have a lot of upside. I feel like which we might not see this year. And I think the Buffalo game the other night was a microcosm of okay. This might be a tough season on the ice this year, but there's a lot of big things ahead potentially. So I'm excited about the future. Yeah, I think there's so many exciting pieces. Obviously, the extensions for Elvis Merzlikens and Zach Wierenski bode well for the organization's ability to keep talent around long term. And bringing Voracek back even at the expense of Cam Atkinson, yeah. who every time I see another yeah. Instagram post from him, I, I weep inside a little bit. I, it it's definitely a good example of a player with a pedigree of winning who can help our young players grow and thrive. I love Cole Sillinger's game on the ice. I love Shinakov's game on the ice. I, I think they're both fantastic. If I were only caring about the Blue Jackets franchise, I'd say send them to Cleveland, let them play 10 games in Columbus so we, we get that entry-level slide. But... I'm I'm firmly pro player. I, I I think it would be a big statement for John Davidson and Yarmo Kekalainen to make to say, we know we're not likely to be bringing home a cup this year, but we think it's valuable for Cole and Igor to come to Columbus and play this season. They have they are ready for this level. They are ready to grow and develop at this level. Which would say two things. It would say, we're going to challenge you where you're at, not what's best for us financially. And it would say, we're not willing to sacrifice your financial future for our benefit. And I think that would go a long way towards establishing goodwill with those players. Because when you're not playing games with contract status, it it really does build up long-term goodwill. And you don't have to wind up trading guys away a year early or unexpectedly PLD talking to you. You know, I I think the Blue Jackets front office certainly has a lot of ground to make up in terms of building that goodwill in the locker room. So I'm willing to see what Brad Larson brings as a teacher. I think the most important thing is nurturing the young talent on this team, understanding that there's going to be a lot of losing. We're going to lose a lot of games and that we don't break guys' confidence, but rather say, okay, we lost, we had some failures, what do we learn from that? And you look at organizations in the NHL and MLB that succeed over time, and it's because they give young players room to fail and room to grow and nurturing environments that allow them to get the most out of their abilities. So if the Blue Jackets can do that, I don't think this year's the year. I sincerely hope they finish far enough out of the playoff running that they don't tank their chances at a high pick because this this draft is absolutely stocked with talent but i also 
am never going to root for them to lose for losing sake. So right. you want to yeah. establish a winning culture. You want to establish that losing isn't acceptable long term. Losing is acceptable short term in the service of growing and learning and building a long-term powerhouse. And I think that the pieces are there for them to really start laying that groundwork. Yeah, definitely. Also, shout out Pale Dragon. I know he's going to be listening. But uh, yeah, I'm excited for, uh, like you said, their future. And I am definitely giving Brad Larson a chance. I think I want to see him have success, obviously. And, you know, at first we were all like, oh, like, really? But I'm like, you know what? It's all about nurturing, like you said. That's what I've been talking about, too. I said we have to see small wins, even if it's not on the ice, small wins in development or nurturing or just making sure that these guys take that next step, but very excited for their future. And even this season, I'm thinking, you know, they have gold, they have capable goaltenders in the net. As long as everybody's healthy, if certain guys play well, Voracek, Line, et cetera, who's to say they aren't decent. But like you said, I guess you don't want to necessarily see them. Maybe I'm not rooting for them to lose either, but I get if it's a lost season down the road, it's like, well, maybe they could get a better draft pick too. Yeah, but I'm that, not rooting for losses. That or alternatively, the Chicago Blackhawks are terrible, and that first pick that that we got in That's the Jones true. trade turns into something special. I gotta say, from watching the first few preseason games, I've been really impressed as well by the new defensemen, Boakvist and Bean. Mm, they yeah. really seem to be holding their own. They don't seem out of place at all. And you know, talking with you and talking with. Pale Dragon and a number of other people, I, I'm really excited about the core that they're building there. So it, it's going to be fun. And just a quick story about PD and, and me and the Blue Jackets. He took me to a number of Blue Jackets games in the year before I moved out here to San Diego. And as it happened, about a month, about a week before I got the offer to come out here, I fractured my right ankle. And so I was in a walking boot. And I, I got the offer, and the recruiter who I spoke to said, they'd love to have you come out earlier. Uh, can you be out here next week? I said, no. And I explained <laughs> about my ankle, and they said, oh, yeah, that's understandable. So that extra month that I had allowed me to attend game four of the Tampa Bay sweep. And so I went to that game. I bought a ticket, just a single ticket, in a really great uh, low location, and that was one of the most electric sports environments I've ever been a part of. Up there with Duke, UNC, and Ohio Stadium in 2016 when the Buckeyes beat Michigan on the spot being good, actually. Th- those are some of the moments that will stand out in my memory forever. And that that arena that night was as insane as I've ever been around. It was r- truly terrific. That's awesome. Real fast, since I'm talking to you, is it Chinnikov or how? what was the... the- my, my understanding from the reporting has been that it's Igor Shinakov. Shinakov. Okay, Shinakov. Yeah, I wasn't sure what the exact way to say it was. I think I was listening to YouTube videos trying to hear how they said the name. I was going with that, but yeah. I was like, well, you were just talking about pronunciation. You're the guy to ask. <laughs> it's funny because a lot of players, there, there was a good article about this, I think, in The Athletic in the past year or two about diacritics and, and marks over players' names, and some insist on it, some don't. A lot of players, when you say, I need the pronunciation of your name, they'll say, oh, just say it however you say it. And I had to insist in my playing career. I said, no, I need you to say it to me. I'm going to catch it on tape, and I'm going to write it down the way you say it. And you have to really insist to, to make sure that 
you are getting it the way they want it. And it's in the minors, it's not because you think the local audience is going to notice. It's because their mom is listening somewhere. And oh, yeah. You yeah. know that they are going to catch hell about it if you don't get the pronunciation right. So right. I, I was very fastidious about that. It didn't matter how complex the name was. I wanted to make sure I got it exact and and down to the the letter. So that was very important to me, and it remains very important to me as I do research on player names in the minors now. Yeah, I appreciate the detail that you have in doing that and just being as uh, thorough as you can be. I appreciate that for sure. Uh, one last thing before I let you go, um, talking about the Giants real fast. I have a, a Giants friend that I podcast with sometimes, and I was joking with him in April. They were like two weeks into the season. I was like, oh, they're playing pretty well. They're like, they're like 12 and 6. I'm like, are, are they are not back, right? They're not, can they contend for the wild card? And all year, we just kept waiting for them. And I, I was like, you know what? This team might be for real. It's like June, July, August. Okay, this team's for real. <laughs> I didn't see any of this coming. They yeah, found, they no found the fountain of youth. That's the only explanation because Brandon Crawford, Buster Posey, Brandon Belt, these guys have had tremendous bounce back seasons. Kevin Gaussman is a guy who had been identified as, oh, this guy, he's figuring it out. All his underlying stats point to a really good year. I couldn't get him in my fantasy league. I was disappointed about that. And he has really proven to be an ace when they've needed him to be. And their bullpen has held up better than it had any right to. The addition of Chris Bryant was terrific. I thought that was arguably the trade of the deadline because he fit exactly what they needed. And Evan Longoria's had an amazing year. I don't know where these guys have gone, but it's no coincidence that there is a pitcher in the major leagues named Ponce de Leon and these guys find the fountain of youth. I'm just saying. And I actually knew Logan Webb from when he was with the Green Jacket, so it's cool mm-hmm. to see him having success now too. So cool! It's cool to see these guys making you know making an impact. So yeah, they've pulled it together from all over. I, I'm really impressed by what they've done. You know, any team has to weather injuries over the course of a year, and the Giants are no exception. Losing Longoria and Belt and Posey at stretches, and they just keep making it happen. They are a team who have savvy. They have belief, and they have real team spirit. They really are there for each other, and they pick each other up. I love seeing that, and baseball is better when San Francisco is good, in my opinion. I I like the Giants being a a good team. I, I grew up, my uncle lives in San Francisco. He has my whole life, and I almost got to go to a World Series game when I was three years old because his... His law firm had tickets that he was able to get, and he said, I got two tickets. Send Ben out here. You know, he's going to see the game with me. And my dad said, no, no, no. He's three years old. He won't appreciate it. I'll go instead. So my dad goes. <laughs> he just wanted to go. <laughs> it was game one of the 1989 World Series. It was oh, the God, earthquake yeah. game. Wow. And thank God I wasn't there <laughs> because – yeah. It would have been such a hassle and such a nightmare for my parents and my uncle. Instead, my my dad and my uncle, they got out fine, thankfully. But that was how I almost wound up at the earthquake game of the 1989 World Series. Well, that's some story. I was going to say your dad just wanted to be there, but I guess the last, well, not last laugh, but you know what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, he had to deal with the earthquake instead. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, 
Ben, I really appreciate you coming on. Really cool to talk with you and learn about what you do. And I mean, it's crazy. Like, I, I play this game and now I realize the impact that you have on it. It's so fun to be able to talk with people like you who have such a deep appreciation of sports, but also have an understanding of the role that the video game world plays for sports fans in general. It is such a fun avenue to connect with sports and engage with it. And it's something that I think sometimes goes underappreciated when you think about how fans are built and how how you build a connection with a sport or a team or even an individual player. And it's really lovely to get to discuss that kind of thing with you. So thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. That's why I like doing this because it's always fun to talk with people and find out their stories and stuff. So yeah, I really appreciate the time. Three, two, one, zero, 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 and...